you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner. And today I have with me the fabulous Lisa O'Neill. All I'm going to say is sit down, grab a seat, grab a cup of coffee and lock yourselves in for what is going to be a crazy journey. Lisa is charismatic and engaging. Uh, She's an incredible keynote speaker and spends her life inspiring and motivating audiences in New Zealand and Australia. Her expertise is in personal leadership. Um, She's absolutely obsessed with people living the lives they want to live, to be magnificent in their chosen life domain, honoring themselves by being more of themselves. And we've managed to get some time with Lisa while she's actually in the middle of her New Zealand tour of her show, A Magnificent Life. So um, it's absolute joy to have, have her here. As well as that, she's a mother of four, and so she is the queen of juggling. She's a high-energy multitasker, and as I've said, she is incredibly inspiration. I have the absolute honor to call Lisa not only a colleague, but an incredible friend and advisor. She's certainly part of my inner circle. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa O'Neill. Thank you so much. That was a big intro. Wasn't it lovely? I know. You've done so much. So lovely. (laughs) I'm just going to get straight into it because you're right in the middle of this this magnificent life tour, which has a wonderful alignment to what this podcast is all about and my passion around unleashing individual brilliance. So I'm going to ask you that question of what does unleashing brilliance mean to you in your world, Lisa? For me, it means um, living the life that you want and get removing obligation and resentment, which I think is the two biggest diseases that women are facing at the moment and even men actually so um, I've been talking to a lot of men recently about the amount of obligation in their lives and yeah it blows me away because we're sort of we're, we're raised in obligation and and sort of marinated if you like in um in resentment because we we've often been raised by parents especially of our age group um for those of us younger than people younger than you and I, they won't know about this, but for our age group, we were raised by women who were very unhappy because they didn't understand that they were allowed to have their needs met. And so that was really passed on to us. So we were kind of absorbed this, you can't do that. And who do you think you are? And that's not okay. And, you know, we kind of got taught of all these limits and without realizing we turned out to be limited adults. So my job's to unlimit people. (laughs) Do you think you were limited as well as you were growing up? Is that when you look back over the course of your life and your journey to here, do you remember experiencing that feeling of limited, limited possibility? Yeah, I had this really interesting upbringing where my father was insanely inspirational and motivating and just he told me constantly, you can do, be, and have anything you want. You know, there is, you have no limits. The world is your oyster. And then my mother had come from a very conservative upbringing and she was like, Lisa, stop drawing attention to yourself. You know, you need to sit down and be quiet and color in between the lines and this is not going to get you anywhere. Um, And so I was sort of torn between these two pieces of of advice. And 
my mum was just trying to protect me because in her world she was like this is not going to fly Lisa you know you just can't go around doing and saying whatever you want <laughs> and my father was like yes you can and so <laughs> I sort of obviously ran more with his advice <laughs> did have what I call a proper job didn't you what were you doing in your proper job oh I've had lots of proper jobs lots of proper jobs um, Lots of proper jobs. I started life as a graphic designer and then I went into clothing design and then I went into marketing and sales and then I ran a streetwear company um, in New Zealand Zealand. and then then I started doing a lot of personal styling and I ended up working as an art director and while I was doing that I ended up basically doing all the styling because there was no budget for a stylist Um, and then I quite liked that and then individual women were coming to me saying, can you style me? And I was like, sure, why not? So I found it really easy and it was quite rewarding. And I just really liked helping people to see themselves differently. But I think it was really a bit of a Trojan horse because it was really about developing them. Um, But I was kind of using clothes as a vehicle, if that makes sense. Um, And then I woke up one day and went, I don't want to do this anymore. So I was a fashion editor and a stylist and I was running lots of fashion events and I just thought, oh, the thought of actually advising another person on what neckline suited them made me want to throw up a little bit. So um, I realised that what I wanted to do was help people to see themselves in a more magnificent way and to develop themselves into who they really wanted to be. So that's kind of my short story. And can you, is there a particular watershed moment that, that changed the course of your life in any way that you can remember? Yeah, totally. I had um, my first child at 29 and I remember sitting, holding him in the middle of the night. My, my husband was very dutiful and was first child. So there was a bit of a ceremony for everything. Um, and I remember Mark bringing Oscar to me at like 3am to feed him and Mark walked out of the room and I remember thinking, wow, you might leave. You could leave me at any time. And then I looked down at this little human I'd created who was chewing on my, on my body. And I thought, wow, you might leave. And then I thought, actually, you will leave if I'm any good because that's kind of the point is for me to grow them and get them out into the world. And then I thought, wow, the only thing I've got is me. And I still remember vividly thinking that, that all I had was me and that there was no benefit at all unless I developed me and that the, the best thing I could do for my family was to develop myself so it was kind of I started off on that journey at 29 and just got really deep into who I was and what I wanted and yeah spent 10 years really just studying myself which was kind of interesting mm. and now you're, you're traveling how many shows are you putting on around New Zealand at the moment with the uh I think we've got um, nine locations um, for Magnificent Life and three in Australia. So nine in New Zealand and three in Australia, which is yeah, exciting. It's great. Yeah, so, so I've been to a couple of your past show and laughed hysterically all the way through. But um, you've got this wonderful gift of making people laugh, but at the same time getting some very solid home truths uh, through to people. Where did, the, where did the, uh, the idea of a magnificent life come from? Well, it came from just working and mentoring and coaching lots of women who were just really unhappy with their lives. And, and they just didn't, the, the biggest problem I saw was that they couldn't actually open themselves up to the concept that they deserved better or that they were actually allowed or entitled to have the life of their dreams. They thought that that only happened in movies. 
So they were very much, and the life of your dreams might mean working three days a week, picking your kids up from school every day at three o'clock and having dinner with your husband on a Saturday. It doesn't have to be a big fancy life. It's just whatever you want it to be. Um, and I think so many of us don't do what we want because we put all the shoulds in place. So we're like, oh, I should be with my children all the time. And I should, you know, I shouldn't go out with my friends because I should be with my husband and I sh and all this should. And it's just really boring instead of doing what makes you really happy. And are you seeing evidence of people not living that life increasing with this sort of ever-changing, really busy, demanding world that we're living in? Absolutely, because I think, you know, women of my mother's generation, their job was to keep the house tidy, to get the dinner ready, um, and to sort of be in service to their husbands um, and look after the children, whereas our jobs is to do all of that Plus, we've got to work, we've got to have careers, we've got to have social media profiles, we need to have amazing photos, we need to have Instagram all our meals. Like, it's just insane, the pressure that the modern people are under. It's crazy. If you buy into it, it's insane. Mm. What, are, what are some of the key things that you would, you tell people to do? So I don't, I don't think the challenges are specific just to women, are they? I mean... No, you, not at all. Everybody. And I think it's getting harder to be a man um, than ever before. Yeah. Um, and the men I work with are really struggling because they've got the obligation of I, I should be the breadwinner and I should be the man of the house and I should work, you know, every day. And there's all this obligation for them about being whatever a good husband or a good father looks like. Um, but I think it's about reframing, you know, what you think that is. And actually within, like my husband doesn't work, so he's at home. And so for us, it was a conversation around what suits us and what's going to be the greatest use of our resources for our family. Um, and for us, that meant kind of flipping roles where I'm the breadwinner and he's the support person at home. Um, and that works brilliantly. He, he's very happy with that, and so am I. So it's about having those conversations about what what works for you and what what really do you want, you know? Did he find it hard to, to make that flip? Because um, you talk about the conformity of society or society expectations, and sometimes to, to be different um, is harder than staying the same. Yeah, he didn't find it very hard at all. He's very very solid in who he is so he was just like you know cool and he loves being at home and he's very good at it he's far better at it than I was um he's much more consistent and um and he's just more organized in a, in a domestic setting I'm sort of pretty chaotic um so I kind of disturb the house when I'm home but he's amazing at it and he's very patient and he really liked it um he likes hanging out with the kids he loves the freedom of being able to go to the gym and go on a school trip and, um, you know, do, do what makes him happy without the pressure of having to bring home, bring home the money. Whereas I got to, I did 10 years at home and then I was like, do you want to do the next 10 years, you know? And he was like, yeah, cool. So it was something he was always quite open to. So I guess I was lucky to have a man that was open to that because I see a lot of couples where they've got kind of two alphas that are both trying to have incredible careers and they're still trying to run homes and they're still it's just so hard it's so big mm -hmm. what's um what's the best advice that someone gave you can you remember <sighs> um I think well the best advice my father gave me when I was about seven years old was you can do be and have anything you want but he said you've got to want it and you've got to work for it 
Mm. And I think taking personal responsibility for that, like he said, don't ever limit yourself. You can have anything, you can be anything, but know what you're chasing and know it's going to take work. So don't sort of go, I want a big house, but don't be prepared to, you know, work for it sort of thing, which was really good advice. It was that personal responsibility piece, I think. Yeah, do you, do you, I reckon that there's, uh, I talk a lot about, there's a uh, case, cases of blameitis affecting far too many people around the world right now where they're not accepting uh, any ownership of, of anything. Do you see that in the work that you're doing where it's almost deflecting it, any problems that we've got on other people versus this taking ownership piece of, as you talk about, the life that you want? Yeah, well, people, I, I think, don't take ownership of their lives and then they blame everyone else. So, you know, I'm working with women who are saying, oh, well, you know, it's not my, the problem is my husband because he doesn't make me happy. And I'm like, well, it's actually not his job to make you happy. It's your job to make you happy. And then I'm working with men who are saying, well, the problem is my wife because she won't let me do this and all this. And I'm like, see, relationships where you're stopping someone from letting them be or do something and where you're not supporting them to grow, to me is not a good relationship. Um, so to me, it's about we've got to be contributing to each other and we've got to be enhancing each other's lives. Otherwise, there's no point being together. Like if you're just together making each other miserable, then I'm not sure that's ideal, you know? <laughs> Makes everyone unhappy. <laughs> well, exactly. And it's like you've got to be, and I always, I love the theory that, you know, you can't wait for someone to complete you. You've got to complete yourself. And then hopefully when two complete people come together, you know, it's heaven. It's just heaven. Like I said to my husband last Christmas, would you like to, um, how about you go and spend $400 on something you really want and put it under the Christmas tree? And he said, oh, why is that? And I said, well, I just have, and then it will be even. <laughs> and he was like, oh, um, well, good point. And it's like, I wasn't going to feel bitter and twisted because I didn't get the Christmas gift I wanted. I just went and bought it myself. And then I gave him the opportunity to do the same. And we were both so happy. We didn't tell each other what we bought. We just opened it on Christmas Day and we still got a surprise. And <laughs> we both got what we wanted. And it's like, just take charge, you know? Yeah, taking charge. Now, you're such a positive, happy, inspirational person. And, you know, you're sharing that energy with so many people around the world. Um, what about a time where things weren't so great? What about, can you think, remember the biggest failure, what it was and how you pulled yourself through that? Yeah, see, I don't actually believe in failure. I just believe in learning. Mm -hmm. So I reframe anything that would be seen as a failure. I go, oh, well, that didn't work. And I now know this about myself or I now know that about that environment or, you know, whatever it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of revoltingly positive um, mm. to the point I don't, I don't believe in, in failure. I don't believe in sin. I just think that people make bad decisions and people learn. Um, so I haven't really, I don't recall having anything, a really massive failure, probably because I just have blocked it out because <laughs> I just don't, don't buy into it. I'm, I'm not saying I haven't had them. I just don't know that I've ever really, leapt into that because I just think see it as a learning um, so what about, what about the biggest learning you've had then what, what's the moment where you've had the biggest learning that fundamentally has changed everything that you do oh that's a big question the biggest learning um I think the biggest learning for me has been navigating um four children 
Mm. And so I think learning um, about them, three of them, three of my children are um, insulin dependent diabetics. So that's been massive. And that was something I certainly didn't ask for or even imagine could happen. Um, and so trying to manage, I mean, children are hard enough, but children with pancreases that don't work <laughs> make it so much harder. And, um, you know, literally managing that every day is probably the hardest thing we've ever had to deal with and it's ongoing and it's 24 seven. So I think just knowing that, um, you know, that struggle of actually doing, doing the hard stuff, which is the same with any illness or, you know, having elderly parents or all of the stuff that people are dealing with. But I think that's probably the heart, biggest learning and just make me appreciate how brilliant our bodies are that they work most of the time. Well, you know, like my body's worked brilliantly for 48 years and I've never really, given it a huge amount of gratitude um, for the fact that I don't need to stick insulin in every time I eat carbohydrates. And so when you're dealing with something that is not ideal on a medical level, you're suddenly like really appreciative of just how well other stuff goes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, it's funny. It's that whole, that old saying, isn't it? Your health, your health comes first without your health. You've got nothing. And, uh, we've got to be so grateful for those simple things. It's, um, none of us can do what we're trying to do without our health. Yeah. And I think, you know, our health is huge, but when the health of your children, you keep your energy, it's huge. It's enormous when your children's yeah. compromised because yeah. yeah, that's a bit of a, a bit of a biggie really because you get into a real spiral about why did this happen to me and what you know we don't deserve this and what is this child's done nothing wrong and this is hard and you know which is all stuff that you have to keep constantly reframing to make it okay actually before we move on i'd love you to share the story that you always tell which which stays with me is the lamb chop story when you talk about juggling your kids and the self-care can you share that with our listeners <laughs> Yeah, so um, it comes from the, the burnt chop syndrome, yeah. which is um, that I think, and this is kind of a resentment piece that predominantly whoever, and I won't, I won't say women, whoever is the person that cooks the meals in the house, um, because we take responsibility for cooking, what happens is that we, we then cook the meal. And then if something goes wrong, which generally happens when you're cooking, something gets sort of shriveled up or overcooked or not quite you know, done well. And we always put that on our plate and we kind of go, oh, I'll take that, you know, and it's about accepting the shitty bit. Um, and I just, I don't buy into it at all. So when I was at home full time and cooking all the meals, if I cooked chops, for example, which are a big, a big food group in New Zealand, chops, um, I would um, always give myself the biggest, best chop because I basically deserved it because I'd cooked it, I'd bought it, I'd prepared it I'd bloody owned that chop so I was gonna and I wasn't going to give myself the shittiest chop and then as my children got older and they started to get more annoying um I started ranking their plates in order of who was annoying me the most and so I would give the shittiest chop to the person that had annoyed me the most that day and it was a really nice little power statement for me while I was serving up dinner <laughs> and my son could never work out why he's like why did I get the small one I'm the oldest I'm like mm. Just because your behaviour hasn't been ideal. And um, so you get the shitty chop. And so it kind of became this game we played of like who got the best chop. And the kids worked it out after a while that they could tell who I was the most impressed with or the happiest with at the time. To be favourite for the day. Yeah. And the kids were like, how come you always get the best chop? And I'm like, because I cooked. And they were like, oh. And then my daughter said to me, 
So if I cook, does that mean I get the best? I said, absolutely. And it's like the little red hen, you know, if you're going to grind the flour and make the bread, then you should get to eat the bread. And um, so she started cooking and she started serving herself these incredible dinners. <laughs> and it was great because, so then they all got into cooking, but just because they had the ownership of sort of ranking people and deciding who had the best, um, the best meal. So it's kind of been a, a, a fun, a fun little thing that started off as a bit of a joke. But it started off, off as a joke, and yeah, it's so poignant, this, this example of looking after yourself first. How, how do you explain to your clients and your audiences that story and putting it into their own lives? Yeah, because it's, it's the same as this, the old cliche about put your own mask on an aeroplane, you know, first. Because it's like, if you're not 100%, and especially as a parent, if you're not your cup's not full and you're not feeling amazing, you're not going to be a great parent, you know, like, and I see these parents all the time and they're doing a really bad job with their children because they're just so unhappy and they've got no reserves. They're exhausted. They've worked huge hours. They're not putting themselves to bed. They're not taking themselves for a walk. They're not sort of putting anything fun into their diary, like going to a movie or catching up with a friend. And then they're so bitter and twisted about everything they're doing for everybody else that they become one of these cupboard slammers who gives himself the shitty chop. And it's like, you know, I just don't really think that's the way to live your life. And it's not a good example. I always say this to, um, to mothers, especially of daughters, because I'm like, you know, your daughter's going to be like, I don't want to grow up because I'm just going to get bitter and shitty and twisted and grumpy and I don't want to be like you and I think that's something we have to be really aware of because our children are watching us all the time and you know they're going to look at that and go wow I'm not getting married and having kids look what that turned out you know look how that went for you <laughs> yeah I think you can also extend that into people's work um, you know if you're owning a business or you're a leader in a business it's the same thing right the whole behavior and how you're leading, being, behaving, and the impact it has on the people around you—it's the same. Absolutely. And if you're, you know, if you're in a, if you've got in a position of leadership anywhere, and I see families as leaders, um, you know, I see parents as leaders. So it's like to me, you're just a leader of a, of a small company, which is yourfamily.com. Um, and if you're a leader in a business, you've got to rule by example, and you've actually got to be who you want them to be. And uh, you know, these the old days of having these awful tyrant leaders stomping around having tantrums and yelling because they were the boss and nothing made them happy is kind of so 1980s and so ugly that I hope we've got through that. Mm. Let's hope so. Although you had, uh, with the, the recent events with the Royal Commission here in, the, in Australia, you'd have to question some of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, your latest book, Lickable Third. First of all, the title's fabulous. Um, <laughs> Uh, tell us a little bit more about your concept thinking behind the lickable third. Yeah, so the lickable third is sort of um, really about the fact that a third of our life um, is brilliant. Um, a third of our life is just okay. And a third of our life is actually shit. Um, but we don't kind of admit. So we're so busy posting on social media about the brilliant bits and we're getting through the okay bits. And then the stuff that's really hard, we're not really sharing and, you know, never before has mental illness been so big and people have felt so isolated and they're not sharing that bit. And I think we need to take responsibility for the whole of our lives and work out, like work on the stuff that's really hard. Um, for me, it's also about getting rid of, it's kind of like Marie Kondo in your life. It's like, 
what third of the people in your life do you need to get rid of? And what third? So when I meet people, I generally know if they're lickable or not. I'm like, oh, I love you. I love you. I want you in my world. And um, the lickable thing actually came from a family story that my brother and I as children used to lick stuff as ownership. So if there was a big biscuit, we would one of us would lick it and then that meant the other one wouldn't eat it. So we kind of used it as a thing that it was like, that's mine. It was sort of an ownership thing. So now when I meet people, I think, oh, I could lick you and have you all to myself. Um, and then I meet people and I think, no, you're just not for me. And people say, oh, that's really harsh. And when I wrote the book, people were saying, oh, that's really awful. Lisa. I said, no, it's true. Because I say in the book that I believe in hate at first sight. And I think people, sometimes you just meet people and you think, yeah, you're just not for me. You're just not my person. And rather than wasting time trying to make them your person, I think we're better to spend quality time with our third, you know, with the people that you really love and you adore. Um, and just give yourself permission to not like some people and to not like some stuff in your life and, you know, to work out what you, what are the things like in our house, we made a list of all the jobs and I'm like, what do you like to do? What do you not like to do? Um, I love to hang out washing. My husband hates hanging out washing, but he loves to, um, he loves to bring it in. So I'm like, good, you bring it in. I'll put it out. So just simple things, you know, really simple things. Like what are the things in your world that you love and what are the things you don't love? And even going back to your wardrobe, a third of your wardrobe you absolutely adore. You know, when you wear it, you feel so special and it's so lovely. And then a third of it's just okay. It's just your stuff you wear just because it's comfy and it works. And then a third of it's awful and you don't get rid of it. You just leave it sitting around. Or hope that you're going to get back into it. Well, that's the other thing. Just hoping yeah. one so there'll be people listening to this going, oh, I love that concept, Lisa. I can so see how lickable third can work in my personal life. What about in um, at work? Um, so in big organisations where it's, I agree with you, you can't get on with everyone and there'll be people that are in that, in that bottom third. Have you got any mm. tips of how they maintain their positivity or their energy around those people? Or what would you do in that situation? Yeah, well, I think it's about acknowledging within yourself that actually this person's not my person. So this person is not my person. But what I see all the time in organizations is people get really over the top about that person. And, oh, I don't like her. And she's so annoying. And they waste so much energy on someone that apparently means nothing to them. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, just don't give them any energy. Be polite. Be, be kind, you know, because I think we all need to be kind and we all need to be polite. And I'm certainly not saying you should be rude to people, but I think you need to go, yes, that's, that's Karen over there. I'm going to be nice to Karen, but actually I'm not going to open any extra conversation with Karen. I'm just going to be quite clear that actually there's nothing more here than just the conversation that we have to have. Um, and don't waste your energy on them. Don't buy into, oh, look at what she's wearing and oh, she's annoying and you know, because mm. we get, we waste so much energy on stuff that doesn't matter. And we give our power away to those people. And in actual fact, just focus on the people that you love, you know, how do you, how do you manage your energy? How do you, cause I'm imagining over the course of the last few years, you've worked out what works, what's in your top third, what works for you and equally what doesn't work for you. How do you manage your energy and ensure that you're always match fit? To do the awesome work that you do so sleeping is probably my favorite pastime 
Um, I absolutely love sleeping and I sleep a minimum of 55 hours a week. So I'm obsessed with sleeping um, to the point that I kind of keep a wee tally of my sleeping hours. And if I'm, if I have a sleep debt, then I put myself to bed some nights at seven o'clock just to catch up. Um, because sleeping to me is the biggest luxury in the whole world. I just love it. Um, and I think it's so restorative and, you know, people say to me, oh, I'm tired and I'm kind of just a bit embarrassed for them. I'm like, well, that means you actually don't have the ability to put yourself to bed. So, you know, take responsibility for that and go to bed. But we don't. We think that by being a martyr and doing everything and then whinging all day about how tired we are is some kind of badge of honour. And I find that so boring. Um, so I don't buy into tired. I think, you know, if sometimes we are tired because we've had a child up through the night or you can't sleep or whatever, but stop talking about it, you know, like just get on with it and do the best you can to put yourself to bed, really. So sleep's huge. Um, I'm very good. I don't eat gluten or dairy. So I, I kind of, um, on a food level, I don't eat food that weighs me down or bogs me up or makes me feel gluggy. Um, so they're kind of two big things that I, I do a lot and then doing stuff that makes me happy probably gives me the most energy of all so meeting friends um going to movies you know just doing things i'm really into um i'm quite big on hot glue guns and crafty things <laughs> so you know the idea of gluing sequins onto something makes me very happy so just finding stuff that makes you happy and doing it and people say oh how have you got time in your busy life to you know, sew sequins onto a t-shirt. And I'm like, well, because it makes me really happy. So mm. you have to make time for that. And if, if running makes you happy or walking your dog makes you happy or sewing makes you happy, just do whatever makes you happy. Um, like flower arranging makes me so happy. I'm going to be a florist when I grow up. And I've always wanted to be a florist. And sometimes if I'm really stressed, I just go and buy three bunches of flowers and arrange them. And I'm instantly so happy. <laughs> It's all so simple and, and yet so powerful and equally so many people are finding it all so hard. Yeah, and it is really simple. Like I always say to people, keep a happy list in your phone because when you're running around and you're stressed, if you open up your happy list and go, oh, that's right, flowers make me happy. I'm having a shitty day. I'll go and buy myself a bunch of tulips and put them on my desk and then all of a sudden my life will feel better. You know, so it's like little things that make you really happy. Um, just know what they are and be prepared to do them. Like be prepared to buy the flowers or, you know, paint your toes or just do whatever makes you, whatever works. And everyone's list is quite different. Um, so, you know, I've got a friend that cleans when she's unhappy. She loves to clean. I'm like, well, if you're really unhappy, you could come to my house and that <laughs> would make us both happy. <laughs> So there'll be people listening to this going, oh my God, this sounds so perfect and ideal. Yes, yes, yes. And I know that equally they'll be going, where do I start? Have you got a tip that you can share with people to just get back in control to start living that magnificent life? Where should they start? Yeah, I think it's about planning. I think you've got to write down um, everything that you do. And then, you know, I love the saying of write down all the things that make you happy and then write down all the things you do and then compare the lists. Mm -hmm. And very often I work with people who aren't doing anything on their happy list. So, and they've got lots of stuff they do. So get rid of the jobs that don't make you happy. Um, like I would personally rather work an extra half day than, than clean my house. So I would rather pay someone and work more than have to vacuum. I, 
just it destroys my soul to have to use cleaning products and vacuum. I can't do it. So I don't. I just do not do it. And and I just don't do it. It's just a personal rule that I don't clean because I don't I don't care. Um, so make a list of what you is important to you and work out how you can do that. And then make a list of the stuff that you don't like and what you want to get rid of. Because I think that's a really good start. And then I go through my calendar and I make sure that every month I've got something really fun to look forward to. Mm. Um, so whether that's a concert or a night out with friends or an afternoon at a spa or, you know, whatever it is that you need um, to make. So planning, I think, is really important and planning your happiness. Because mm. if you've got nothing in your, you know, in our diaries, we have things like, you know, taking the dog to get vaccinated and getting the tires checked on the car but we don't have massage for our, to get our own bodies looked after, you know? So we're putting everything ahead of our own importance. Mm. Mm. So I think that's the first thing is, yeah, I would make a list of what makes you happy. And then I would just do one thing and people say, Oh, it costs money. It's like, it doesn't have to cost money. You know, like rubbing my toes in, in fresh grass makes me so happy that I was the other day at the airport, I took my shoes off and I was rubbing my toes in the grass and a man came past me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just getting some grass between my toes. And he said, oh, that looks good. And we just laughed and that was that. So, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a $200 spa treatment. It can just be sitting under a tree reading a book for half an hour on your own is bliss if you've got a busy house. Yeah. Yeah. The quietness. For me, it's just a little bit of silence. That's all I need in my busy yeah. house. And then it's about making sure that how, do, how can you get that silence? So yeah. when is the time that your house is the quietest? So you can plan to be home with a book or, you know, when can you, so just how do you get whatever it is you're wanting? Because mm. it's one thing to work out what you want. The second thing is you've got to believe you can have it. Then you've got to allow no doubt. Like you actually have to allow yourself the luxury of having what you want. And then you've got to plan to get it in, the, in your life, like make a plan. So want, believe, allow, and plan are kind of my, my staples. So I always say to people, what do you want? Do you believe you can have it? Are you going to allow yourself to have this? And then what's the plan? That's great. That's yeah. really great advice. So want, believe, allow, and plan. Now, I was at dinner last night with a bunch of awesome women. And uh, one of the questions put to the table, which I'm going to ask you because I'm curious, was if this was your... Um, your last day on earth, not saying that you're popping your clogs, but maybe you're heading up to Mars or going somewhere crazy. Um, what advice would you want to leave behind? What are there maybe, I don't know, three key pieces of advice you'd leave behind? Oh, I think the three big pieces would be um, love yourself, love your life and love each other. Cause I think that's all that matters, but you've got to love yourself before you can do those other things. And if you love yourself, you'll love your life because you'll put enough effort into your own life that it'll be worth living and, and then love everyone else because that's kind of the reason we're here, I think. Lisa, it's just been an absolute joy. I can't believe how quickly our time has gone. Your, your insight into um, just helping people become more brilliant, which essentially revolves around taking ownership of the life that you want and living it, not taking ownership and doing nothing about it to me is so simple and yet so powerful, particularly when we're surrounded by people that don't seem to be doing it too. I love your comment at the beginning of all you have is you. 
and you can only become the best version of you if you develop yourself um, is something that I absolutely live by and I, I hope that the listeners today can take that from from your uh, from having you on the show your reframe around failure to learning um, I again it's one of the things I I do too I hate it when I get asked what's your biggest failure because the same thing I can't remember it and I'm going no I've definitely made lots of mistakes I've just what I I believe I wiped them from my memory <laughs> it's that positive delusion piece absolutely um, <laughs> And taking responsible, responsibility for your lickable third, and it's not just about um, owning the good stuff, but it's about owning and getting rid of the bad stuff. It's that whole piece of, you know, create the space for more great stuff to come in. But it can take a lot of bravery and courage to either move away from people or to make decisions that uh, are going to change your future. But I think that that the insight in the book a lickable third is definitely worth it for anybody that is feeling a bit stuck and your concept around you're the ceo of your own family you know it doesn't matter whether you're uh on your own whether you're looking after aging parents whether you've got four kids a hundred kids um or just a house full of cats it's the same principle isn't it you're the ceo of your family to so do what's right for your family and then that final piece around know what you want believe that you can have it, allow yourself to have it and plan a way to have it is, is just great advice. So my final question, um, you know, we're often asked, uh, what do we want to become? It's all very sort of visionary and goal setting and, and becoming better versions of ourselves. But my question to you, Lisa, is what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, I think for fun. I think fun is so underrated. I just I meet people all the time who don't have enough fun. And people come to my events and go, oh, I laughed. I haven't laughed so much. And it's just, I don't plan my events to be funny, but I do find life funny. And I think you have to find life funny because otherwise it's too hard. But I think that, um, you know, just laughing and and making stuff fun, we just lose that ability. We grow up and become so boring and serious and we talk about petrol and dumb shit like that. It's just so boring. And it's like, I just want people to laugh and, and, and really have fun. Like, you know, that to me, there's no greater moment than when you're laughing so hard with someone you can't recover. And um, I love that. And it's like, if more people made an effort to laugh, the whole world would be better, you know? Mm, it would. It would. Well, I am a little bit green that your audience tonight, I think there's there's no doubt that they're going to have a lot of fun and a lot of laughters. When are you coming to Australia? Um, I'm coming to Sydney in May, which is very exciting. We've already done Melbourne. So Melbourne's um, Melbourne is done and dusted. And I'm coming to, um, when is it in May? I think it is the, where am I? The 25th, no. Oh, when is, no, I'm in June now. No, I think it's the, there we go, the 21st of May. Um, we're in Sydney doing Magnificent Life. And then Brisbane is coming up in June, I think. Yeah, very exciting. So all the details are on my website okay. if anyone um, needs to know about those. And you want to just quickly share your web address, the best way people can get hold of you? Yeah, so it's just um, lisaroneal.co.nz. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been an absolute joy to have you as a guest on the show today and, uh, and keep laughing, keep sharing your incredible energy uh, because trust that the ripple effect that you're having is incredible. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. 
follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.